Coming to you from high in the hills of Oakland, California, this is Radio Free Cannabis, voice of the global cannabis freedom movement. I'm your host, Steve D'Angelo. Yes, Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Radio Free Cannabis, coming to you from high in the hills of Oakland, California, translated into 198 different languages, connected to a global network of activist correspondents. We are the voice of the global cannabis freedom movement, and I am your host, Steve D'Angelo. Please remember to support the companies that support this show, Oaksterdam University, Liberty Clothing, Homegrown Cannabis Co., and Swami Select. We have big news about Radio Free Cannabis itself today. Our little webcast is growing up into a full-fledged TV show. We're now available on cable television to 150 million households on the Social Club TV channel. SCTV has tons of other great cannabis content, so be sure to check them out and download the app if you haven't already. Thanks so much for sending us your questions, comments, and kind suggestions. We read and appreciate every single one of them. And please remember to subscribe and share this channel. Cannabis headlines this episode are dominated by news from the United States. And unfortunately, the news is not good. The first bad news story comes from the southern state of Florida, where voters legalized medical cannabis by the initiative process in 2016. The initiative was passed after years of refusal by elected representatives to listen to their constituents and reform cannabis laws via the normal legislative process. But it seems that conservative Republican legislators in Florida are nonetheless still determined to frustrate the will of the voters through the back door of regulation since they couldn't win through the front door at the polls. So now they're using the regulatory process to mandate a 10% THC cap on all medical cannabis products sold in the state. It's a really frightening story, and we'll have more on it later in the episode. Just as the U.S. cannabis community was digesting the Florida news, we learned of the horrific death of our brother Marvin Scott while being detained at McCollin County, Texas jail. This jail has the reputation of being the worst detention center in North Texas. Marvin, who police knew had a mental health condition, was arrested for possessing a partially burned joint in the parking lot of a big box retail store. Employees had called the cops after smelling the odor of burning cannabis. The police initially took Marvin to a nearby hospital, as local regulations require them to do when taking a person with mental health issues into custody. But for reasons that have not been disclosed, after three hours, the police transferred Marvin to the jail, where things first got ugly and then tragic. Correctional officers first placed Marvin in a cell with eight other men, but claimed that when Marvin supposedly began to exhibit symptoms of schizophrenia, they attempted to remove him to an isolation cell and strap him down on a bed. When Marvin didn't cooperate enough for the officer's taste, they put him in chokeholds and then sprayed him in the face with pepper spray. Then they put a hood over his head. Can you imagine doing this to another human being? 
especially one who is already suffering, spray Marvin in the face with a toxic, debilitating chemical, and then put a hood over his head, and then restrain him? Who are these people? Who raised them? Where are their mamas? What kind of education have they received that leads them to such cruelty? Well, to no great surprise, once these malignant idiots finally got Marvin strapped down, they noticed what he was called non-responsive and what you and I would call dead. So here goes another innocent soul long before his time had come. Marvin's family will be grieving his senseless death for the rest of their lives. People guilty of murdering him will probably never face justice and the full facts will probably never be known. We've been aware for a very long time now that the intersection of cannabis enforcement and systemic racism is often a deadly combination. Too many have died already, and we know that one of the best ways to end this genocide is to legalize cannabis, to make sure that nobody else is taken into custody for something that never should have been a crime, to take at least one excuse away from police departments that oversee the routine murder of black men. Now, one would have hoped that President Biden, or at least Vice President Harris, after all their pro-cannabis rhetoric on the campaign trail, would have made a statement about Marvin's death, would have done something, even if all they did was just to recognize that Marvin's death was unjust. But in this case, one would have hoped in vain. Instead of recognizing how the stigma attached to cannabis and the devaluing of cannabis users led to a senseless death. The Biden administration has gone on a campaign of its own to spread and reinforce cannabis stigma. After being promised that past cannabis use would not disqualify them for employment and relying on that representation, dozens of young White House staff members voluntarily disclosed their relationship with the plant in their employment applications. Now we've learned that their honesty which is a common trait among cannabis consumers, has been paid back by the Biden administration with treachery. Dozens of staffers who admitted past cannabis use, most of whom who came from states that have legalized cannabis for adult or medical consumption, have been told they're not welcome at the White House, their workplace. Instead, they have to work remotely, sequestering themselves like they have COVID or that somehow the president might catch a contact buzz from having them around. Even worse, five White House staffers have been entirely terminated from employment, lost their jobs, lost their livelihood. Now, Biden is supposed to be the empathic president, but there's nothing empathic about this purge of cannabis consumers. Let's think about it for a minute. Cannabis extends patience, sparks creativity, and teaches nonviolent conflict resolution. Alcohol impairs judgment, muddies thinking, and stimulates aggressive and sometimes violent behavior. If Biden was acting from a place of reason and rationality, he would have sent the drinkers into exile and put the cannabis consumers in charge. And if he was acting from a place of empathy, he would not have so seriously damaged the careers of these young people who just wanted to serve him. Moving on to the continent of Africa, the Kingdom of Morocco is moving forward with legalizing medical and industrial cannabis 
despite opposition from the former leader of the Islamist PJD party, Abdelila Benkirane, who threatened to leave the party if it approves the bill. Morocco's neighbor of Algeria, with whom it's been in long conflict, has also loudly condemned the Moroccan reform legislation. But this chest beating doesn't fool those who are familiar with Algeria's role in the smuggling of psychotropic pills, mostly methamphetamine, into Morocco. These pills, unlike cannabis, actually are extremely dangerous and are leading to growing levels of addiction in border towns. In Thailand, the cannabis reform measures enacted earlier this year are beginning to show some initial, albeit modest, results. Cannabis cafes like the 420 Cannabis Bar are sprouting up all across Bangkok. They offer CBD-infused teas, brownies, and pizzas. No products containing THC are available yet, at least in the legal market, but Thai public companies are also jumping into the CBD action with announcements of planned cannabis product lines. The shares of one of these companies, DOD Biotech, climbed 11.6% in one day following its announcement of a cannabis-infused cosmetic line. India, the ancient heartland of cannabis-based spirituality, has yet to formally legalize cannabis at the federal level, but as in the USA, Indian states are forging ahead on their own. Earlier this month, the state government of Himachal Pradesh announced that it's developing a policy that will allow the licensed cultivation of medical and industrial cannabis. The chief minister of the state, Jai Ram Thakur, said, the cannabis produced in Himachal has been found to be of very high quality, and he went on to predict that cannabis will become a major source of income for Himachal Pradesh, provided the right enabling legislation is passed. And we will end our headlines today on that happy and hopeful note. Our first feature report this episode comes from Jordan Curl, who's working on cannabis projects in the southern part of Africa. This is Jordan's debut report for Radio Free Cannabis, and we're very happy to welcome him to the show. Thank you, Steve. My name is Jordan Curl. Um, I'm currently in the kingdom of Iswahini, which is formerly uh, Swaziland, uh, located in southern Africa. It's a small country uh, about the size of uh, Kuwait, about uh, 1.1 to 1.3 million people, 17,000 square miles. The poverty rate that is about 75% lives under uh, $2 a day. Um, and it's well known for its specific cannabis strains, its legacy st or land, what they call land race strains, which is uh, Swazi Gold, Swazi Leaf, and Swazi Three Rock. Chances are more people have heard of Swazi Gold or uh, different crosses like Durban Poison. Those are South African uh, uh, land race strains that have actually been integrated into Western, like American and uh, Dutch genetics over the years. Um, basically, right, I've been in the country for over a year and a half now. Uh, I originally came to help with the legalization fight for 2020. What ended up happening is we've had a cannabis bill go through parliament for uh, two years. There's been a fight going on for the last 11 years, but two years there's been cannabis bills in both members of, or both houses of parliament that have managed to pass. 
this last year, 2020, instead of passing with no problems to move up to the, to the signage of the king, uh, there was pushback from the local um, parliamentarians over the concerns of a monopoly as well as exclusion of rural and indigenous growers. Because one of the main issues, especially coming from the parliamentarian side and for people that represent the rural growers, is that they're worried that legalization will actually destroy the illicit markets. And that's just not the truth. Um, part of my advocacy and edu education work that I've done up here is trying to inform people not only like on regular cannabis, on the medicinal adult use side potential and the numbers and the taxation available to it, but also the industrial varieties and downstream waste and processing abilities. Uh, I love Swazi cannabis. It is some of my favorite. And Swazis believe they grow the best cannabis. And Swazi Gold is amazing, but the truth of the matter is uh, there is so many other things to do with this product. So we've been up here experimenting with hempcrete. We've been up here experimenting with uh, organics, trying to get the farmers off of synthetic fertilizers, uh, teaching them how to pull males, uh, sexing, basically just small, normal agricultural stuff that's not being taught or has it that because a lot of the information has been handed down generationally, right? And so now as we get things ready to go, we're attempting to do as much proper legal education as we can with the organization I'm here with, SCAM. I, I think that, that there's uh, like unlimited potential here, especially when you talk about the branding potential, the workforce, the ability, the soil, the sun. I mean, this place is known for cannabis. You can throw cannabis seeds into the ground at any single time and it can grow. So... What we're going to basically do is, as soon as Parliament opens up, we are taking the we're taking the indigenous workers, the indigenous growers. We are taking the stakeholders, the people that want to have license, the people that don't want to have license, the people that just want legalizations like the Rastas, and we're going to keep pushing and we're going to keep pushing hard as we can because this I think this is the year that we're going to actually make it happen. And our goal here is to reduce liability and risk for your average farmer because it is a way of life for most people here it is what puts food on the table it takes care of people's kids and family whether it be smuggling or whether it be selling on the street here or whether it be growing it it's grandmas and old folks that are doing it and it's paying for their school tuition fees and it's paying for food and people are surviving and the fact that they treat these people like criminal and these people can spend anywhere from two to six years in jail because this is part of how they exist now, it's not right and it's not okay. And so we're going to keep fighting this battle, even if it's been 11 years now, even if we lost the last three years, it doesn't matter. The war's not over. Cannabis is a continual fight and we'll, we continue to keep fighting until we win because we're in the right and we know that. We've known that since before 1925 when it came illegal here. We've known it since the 30s when it became illegal in America. We've known it since the 60s and 70s, since the Americans used it for racial reasons to disempower the left and other movements in order to keep control, to propagate the military-industrial complex. We know why these things exist, right? And we can stop it now. We have enough data. We have enough evidence. There's enough change in society to where we can find a social, healthy balance of how cannabis and can be introduced into our society in a normalized way and people would be okay with it and i think it's just taking time and effort and advocacy and a lot of people on the ground pushing shoving information into the face of the people that don't want to hear it or don't want to hear it because they're making too much money um but yeah that's my our quick update of swaziland uh i'm i'll keep you guys up to date as parliament opens up and as things change um, as well as give you up-to-dates around Southern Africa, because this is where I'm at. I've got my fingers in it. I, I'm 
And I do appreciate and I thank you very much for the opportunity to be on your platform. It's a very, it's, it's a big honor to have this opportunity. So thank you very much. I'm very grateful and I appreciate everything you guys have offered me. Have a great day. Thank you, Jordan. That was a great debut report. You make me want to jump up and down and holler glory hallelujah, man. And you're so right. The global cannabis tribe has been suppressed and oppressed and silenced for generations and we're not going to take it anymore. We are determined that our children will grow up in a more free and a more just world than the one we were born into. There is no higher mission and we'll do our part. We won't fail because we can't fail. Next, we'll return to Florida for a report on developments there from our new science correspondent, neuroscientist, and former professor of biology at Eckerd College in St. Petersburg, Florida, Dr. Greg Gerdeman. This week in the Florida House of Representatives, legislation was introduced, House Bill 1455, that would impose caps on the allowable amount of THC, concentration of THC, in cannabis products. Specifically, the flower smokable cannabis itself would be capped at 10% THC and concentrates would have a cap of 60% THC. Now keep in mind, back in 2016, Floridians voted by an overwhelming 71% majority to amend the state constitution to create a right to medical cannabis. Since that time, there are nearly 500,000 patients enrolled in the program. The uh, cannabis was considered an essential business during the pandemic lockdowns. It's con continued to grow and add thousands of jobs, and there have been no real reports of cannabis being diverted to minors or otherwise illegal market. You know, more importantly, this is a robust, growing medical cannabis marketplace where the vast majority of products are over 10% THC, and there has been no health crisis come about as a result which is what we see in established legal cannabis markets nationwide. Nevertheless, Florida is not the only place where this potency argument is being used to justify a new brand of reefer madness thinking. It's really kind of like prohibitionists have, are, are starting to say, okay, you know what? We were wrong. Back then, Cannabis, you know, when all we said all those things to justify decades of war against cannabis users and all of the damage to communities and lives that that has created, yeah, we were wrong. Cannabis back then didn't destroy brains or, you know, turn kids into drug crazed addicts. But now it does because this weed today, it's not what the hippies were smoking or the black jazz musicians were digging on. Now it's super weed that's created by big marijuana. So now it's really as dangerous as we used to say. And this is serious. Now there are lots of arguments against a THC cap. Obviously one of them that THC is the primary driver of therapeutic effect and it always has been, even though it also causes side effects that people can certainly become tolerant to. But so, so many cannabis patients in Florida would simply have to consume more and the industry would have to scrap everything it's growing and start over, which would 
obviously cripple the industry. However, what I want to emphasize as a scientist is this. Do not underestimate this as simply old-fashioned reefer madness thinking. Because while the rhetoric leans on all the same fears and, and prejudice, there are new scientific studies that are used to justify this argument. And there are doctors and academics and certainly lawmakers who are uh, concerned by potent cannabis and find these arguments compelling. So the flaws in the science and the studies themselves, and there are serious ones, need to be addressed specifically. Because this research is being brought to lawmakers by one-sided scientists who have a long relationship with prohibition lobbyists and whose career success and funding and reputation has been built on validating drug war narratives about cannabis. You know, scientists have their biases too. And I refer, for example, to psychologist Dr. Bertha Madras, who was the only subject matter expert allowed to speak to a committee in the Florida House of Representatives a couple of weeks ago in order to prime them to support a THC cap with fear stories about how today's potent weed is the real evil reefer. You know, Steve, there's a lot more to this than I can put in a brief report. And it also is not just a Florida thing. I suspect Florida will shoot this down because there's an established tax generating job-creating industry that would be crippled by passing such a law. But in areas where it's just starting out, where I live now in West Virginia, and I'm starting a medical cannabis dispensary, in countries that are just trying to reform their cannabis laws, there are going to be well-intentioned people, doctors and community members, who are concerned by this and are vulnerable to these arguments because they're not getting a balanced view. So I am going to be, I am writing much more about this and getting more scientific. Uh, and I'm going to put a piece very soon on projectcbd.org. I also have an article already on there recently called Cannabis and Psychosis, A Conspiracy of Causation. So I encourage people to check that out and follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Ganjanesh. Reporting science for Radio Free Cannabis. I'm Greg Gerberman. Thank you for giving us the real deal on this story, Greg, and welcome to Radio Free Cannabis. We look forward to your future reports. Dr. Gerdeman is going to join us again next week to break down and debunk the pseudoscience being disseminated by self-serving fraudsters like Dr. Bertha Madras, ringleader of the tragic circus now unfolding in Florida. We'll be staying on the North American continent for our next report from yet another first-time Radio Free Cannabis correspondent, Luc Prévost. Hi, my name is Luc Prévost. I'm talking to you from the suburb of Montreal in the province of Quebec, just next to the beautiful St. Lawrence River, Le Saint-Laurent. Here we mostly speak French when we're not speaking English. As you might know, Canada has legalized recreational cannabis in 2018. So what does legal cannabis mean to Canadian? Well, I could say that it means different things to different people. Legalization was a political promise from a politician who was against it. 
all his life until very recently. Justin Trudeau, before he was elected, had nothing to do with the legalization of the medical cannabis. It was the work of his political opponent, Stephen Harper, then the prime minister and chief of the Conservative Party of Canada. Justin Trudeau's change of heart made him even more popular, but mostly outside of the country. Rather than simply being thankful, Canadians have been very vocal about the shortcomings of the actual structure that framed the cannabis uh, market. Many countries are thinking about uh, imitating Canada. Israel comes to mind, Australia too. That would be a big mistake. The Canadian experiment should be looked at very carefully. Legal recreative cannabis means that some structural tensions were released, but not injustice. Legal does not mean equal. Best example is the legal age to smoke or consume ca cannabis in general. In Canada, you can vote and join the army at 18. In Quebec, you can drive a car at 16. So you can move tons of metal at, the fright at frightening speed when you can't vote. But the provincial government decided that you have to be 21 years old to buy legal recreational cannabis. Quebec is very open about alcohol. Our famous nightlife is a proof of that. The biggest pornographer in the world, Mind Geek, is based in Montreal. But Quebec is still very shy about cannabis. We are lagging behind the rest of Canada in almost every metric department, except for the price. Quebec has the cheapest spot in Canada. It was probably the only effective measure to reduce the size of the black market. It is also clear that if there are any excess in productions, it will be sent directly to the USA. This extreme caution from the Quebec government is interesting in many ways. It was led by the Minister of Health, the physician Lionel Carman. Mr. Carman justified raising the legal age to 21 because cannabis, and he's not wrong, is not the best substance when you're still growing and growing your brains. Carman and his government are totally at ease to push the young adults from 18 to 21 in the ends of what they call the, an illegal market, created and managed by friendly organized crime. Carman has been inflexible. That could be the end of the story, but it's not. I did some research to try to understand the man, and I found out that Carman is actually saving kids' life with a protocol that relies on cannabis for the treatment of epilepsy. So the face of prohibition within the legal frame in Quebec is a doctor, but he treats children with cannabis. The slow, shy, and timid embrace of the cannabis plant in Quebec is a fact. Look at my face. How old do you think I am? Well, you can keep the answer to yourself. My point, I have to show an ID card every time I go in a state shop. In Quebec, we have a cartel, a monopoly, on the sale and distribution of cannabis. It's called SQDC, La Société Québécoise du Cannabis. Just for the record, I don't mind showing my ID. That's a small, insignificant price to pay 
to have access to legal THC CBD. A second uh, consequence, a much more important one, everywhere in Canada, you can grow four plants at home, not in Quebec. In a few years, the Supreme Court of Canada will allow me to do so. In the meanwhile, I'm forced to buy some stuff that I cannot see. Legal producers here use plastic pots to market their products. So you cannot feel, you cannot smell, and you cannot look at what you're buying. Can I return the stuff if I do not like it? In some case, but it will take probably a few hours of my life. The third consequence is a philosophical one. The SQDC has a weird mission. It's supposed to eliminate the black market while at the same time making sure it does not promote the use of cannabis. The nature of the mission creates several hurdles that are impeding the business sector. Marketing is almost impossible. Direct sales from the farm are forbidden. Only the SQDC can use the cannabis leaf in its uh, communication. The cannabis 2.0 wave was crushed in its infancy. The offer was uh, severely restricted and tragically, those are the products that offer the best margin of profit as the price for the flower is in free fall everywhere in the world. Cost of production for an outside crop are as low as five cents per gram in Quebec. The fourth consequence is for me the most important one. If you have a criminal record, you cannot work in the industry unless you are the owner of the business. But by the way, Health Canada is totally at ease to give me a license to become a legal producer, even if my money comes from some fiscal paradise. In other words, Canada welcomes dirty money in the cannabis sector. C'est la vie, as we say in French. Last consequence, but not the least. Many cities have voted bylaws that prevent you from smoking outside on the territory, their territory. And the same towns allow apartment owners to prevent renters from smoking in the rented apartments. So in fact, some people still have to hide to smoke cannabis in Quebec. And there are more fines given to citizens than ever, and bigger ones too. So the cannabis legalization is a work in progress. In other words, the cannabis genie is out of the bottle. That's the good news. So now we only have to continue the fight. Thank you. A bientôt. A bientôt to you, Luke. I love this indomitable spirit of the cannabis tribe, our will and our passion to always, always keep moving the cannabis freedom movement forward. We hear the same determination from all of our correspondents. We hear it from all the mothers all around the world whose children depend on cannabis. And we even hear it from our sisters and brothers in prison who are just released from prison. We see the same spirit of resilience in every corner of every cannabis community. We're seeing it, we're hearing it, because we're all being called by the same source. We're all being called to the same mission, the healing of our bodies, 
the healing of our souls, the healing of the nations, and the healing of the planet. We know in the depths of our hearts that our cause is righteous. We know that the future of the planet depends on the actions we take today. And so we keep marching, marching to the rhythm of peace and love, knowing that when we march, all of the trees and all of the creatures march with us. We're at the end of another episode now. Please be sure to join us next time. To those of you in difficult circumstances, and I know that you're out there, remember that as long as you love the cannabis plant, you will never be alone. There are hundreds of millions of us now, and our tribe grows with every passing day, with every passing minute, in every corner of the world. We will not forget you, we will not abandon you, and we will not stop and we will not quit until our last prisoner comes home, until all of us dance together in the beautiful light of full freedom. Until the next episode, stay strong, take care of each other, be well, be free.